This is Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context. Welcome back to Create the Next. I'm Chris Bentliff, and I am, as always, so thrilled to be joined by Nelson Tepfer, CEO at Pro CFO Partners. And Nelson, truly always a highlight when I get to spend some time with you. Um, I'm, I, I am energized by our conversations and our discussions, and we were talking about uh, this month's newsletter, which if you don't go get it, go to the ProCFOPartners.com website and uh, jump onto their newsletter because it's always a treasure trove, if you will, of of insight. But there was a discussion this month about decision-making, and I thought it would be really interesting to unpack that a little bit, particularly where uh, leaders are concerned, where they're uh, executive team or their board or their just kind of their sounding board. How does that interface? Where do I make decisions and where do I seek consensus? What are my pitfalls uh, or or risks or obstacles in doing that? Am I even aware of those things when I'm making these decisions? So welcome back. And let's talk a little bit about this idea of decisiveness. I guess starting with kind of how do you want to frame the idea of decisiveness? Chris, always enjoy our conversation. So always, always thrilled when I see it show up on my calendar when we get to have another conversation like this. So I think we should back up a second because decisiveness comes when you actually have to make a decision. So I think some, we might need to back up to a little bit as in what are the decisions that we actually need to make and therefore how do we need to think about them to make the decisions that we have to. Because what we very often see, you know, both with our clients that we work with, we support, as well as many other people that we speak to and entrepreneurs and the environments that we find ourselves in, is it's not about their ability or inability to make a decision. It's they end up focusing on the wrong things to, and therefore decide, making decisions around things which are not as impactful or things that are not as relevant because they don't they refuse to tackle the issues that they have to. No, you're right. <laughs> good good idea to back up. There's a ton to unpack in that in that brief statement. So tell me more about that because part of what comes to mind for me is um, the forest for the trees sort of analogy, or. Um, if I'm afraid of making the decision that is the big decision, I can get stuck in the tiny decisions that aren't really that impactful, but they feel a little more comfortable for me to be able to make. What do you think? That's exactly right. But yeah, we, we do find this very often. It is natural to avoid, obviously, tougher decisions or things that we think are tougher decisions. And sometimes just the clarity that we're avoiding is sometimes is helpful. It's like, are we choosing not to address this because it's more difficult? Or are we choosing not to address this because we have more important things we should be addressing first? And so when we think about this, what very often we the way we approach this, this is you know, some of the topics we've discussed before. Sometimes it's the clarity around what we're what the decisions we're making, what what are the what other decisions we need to make to support what we're trying to do as an organization. And sometimes just being able to frame those topics in that level of clarity says, okay, yes, this is a tougher decision, but I know I this is either yes or no. It doesn't support where we're trying to move as an organization. If it does, then we're much clearer why or when or how we need to make that decision. If it doesn't, then what are the things we should be looking at? I recall speaking recently to an early stage company, and this business owner was sharing with me three or four different spreadsheets with five tabs on each spreadsheet type of thing. And she's like, no, this is great over here. And eventually I asked this business owner, I said, what are you trying to decide? You have a whole lot of information here. What are you trying to decide? What are you looking for? for this information to tell you. And you see this business owner just pause for a second and start really thinking and says, I hadn't thought about that. She was looking for the, some insight for this information to tell her, but she didn't know what she was actually looking for it to tell her. It's like, you're thinking about your company as it relates to the data that you're representing versus the other way around. The data is supposed to give you the insight into the decisions you need to make. 
you're not going to find the decision in the data. You have to make sure it's framed correctly so you can say this is informing my decision, yes or no. Wow. Especially relevant and poignant because we've never had more data available to us. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's so easy to pile in the metrics in the dashboard. And it's fascinating also. It's rewarding. It's interesting. And it, it plugs into this idea of... Um, it feels like I'm achieving something, you know, I, I, I can speak as a guy who spends a lot of time in automation. There's a, sometimes you get and get down a, a rabbit hole or in code you can get down a rabbit hole and you look up four hours later and you realize you've just been beating your head to solve this particular problem. And you've lost sight of, well, hold on. Maybe there's a completely different way of approaching this, or maybe that's not even, as you said, the problem at hand, but you, it can get that, that, challenge can be a little bit insidious. You don't realize it's happening to you until maybe uh, a different pair of eyes or a different perspective can say, well, hang on, why or what or what about this? And you can sort of jolt yourself out of that. Do you feel like uh, two things? Do you feel like I need a framework or a, a sort of a predictable approach or a recipe for first do this, then do that, then check in with this? Or how how can I kind of systematize as we like to do the decision making and and second you kind of said uh you kind of indicated get to that yes no should i be whenever possible distilling down into a binary do this or don't do that there might be a ton of branches i need to get through to get to that but at the end is it a do this or don't do and that will lead to the next do this or don't do so to answer the second question first, obviously the the easier it is to simplify a question and boil it down to its component or root or, or 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 factors involved, then easier it is to make the decision because it becomes clearer. But to answer the, the first question, which is frankly a much larger question, yeah, is we very often find that the, it, it's a structure that provides a clarity that to, that to identify what the decisions are you need to make. So whether there are any number of tools out there, we have our own tool that we, you know, whether it's a framework for financial management and growth, a goals and strategy session and that type of work we focus on, or the whole host of tools that exist out there open in the marketplace, EOS or OKR or Scale Up or Rockefeller Habits, there's a whole list of them we can run down, none of which are right or wrong in any way, shape or form, all are about providing structure and clarity. And a lot of most of those, many of those tools, as well as our own, focus very often on what is it we're working towards. Mm-hmm as an organization, because some of that allows you to boil this down and really does it become really simple. And therefore, you can more clearly understand, A, the decisions you need to make, and B, the ramifications of those decisions. You know, at some point, there's, you have to actually be moving forward. You know, pushing off a decision very often is a lot worse than making the wrong decision. Mm. This, when we think about this in context of goals and strategies, and we've talked a lot before here uh, around maybe a, a three-year goal or a five-year goal, and then chiseling that back down to what's your annual, what's your quarterly, what's your monthly, what's your weekly, depending on what's going on. Part of what I'm hearing you say is I, as a leader, and, and I'm thinking of myself in an executive mm-hmm. space, so maybe a CEO or an owner or something, I need to have those skill sets. But then I also need to be able to distribute that to my managers. They need to make their decisions so that everything can kind of funnel up to the bigger decisions. There's a lot of places for that to break down. There's a lot of personality stuff that can get in there. There's a lot of weird ego stuff that can get in there. How do I, I don't know, how do I manage that sort of culturally or how do I become an organization that excels at decision-making? Because how many of us just get stuck in the same sort of feedback Mm -hmm. loop or uh, it's going well until it gets on that person's desk. And now we know it's going to grind to a halt because whatever. How do I approach this uh, so it's a little less esoteric? 
So not to, you know, hit on the, you know, one of the buzzwords of today, but some of that comes down to engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we think of engagement, the way we think about it is, yes, there's buy-in, we're told, or a lot of other familiar words we tend to throw around there, but it's about making sure those key stakeholders understand their role in the bigger picture or in the goal we're working towards as an organization. Because it's not about having a whole bunch of yes people. You know, the healthy conflict is actually very helpful for organizations. But at the same time, if there's a process that needs to flow through, like you referenced, like, oh, well, it gets to this person's lesson and it slows down. Well, does this person understand their function as it relates to everything that's being worked on and the goal they're working towards? Does it slow down because they want to make sure it's done right? Or does it slow down because they don't want to do the work? Does it slow down because they, you know, they're not very good at their job? Or does it slow down because they want to make sure every single piece of this is done perfectly well? So when it gets hand, handed off, they feel confident that this will continue to move forward. Create the Next is brought to you by Pro CFO Partners, who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success. Pro CFO Partners are expert financial officers networked across industries, verticals, specializations, and situations. Fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment, Pro CFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com You touched on something interesting there, and I don't want to get into like, you know, talking about agile frameworks and things like this, but how do I, we've talked so much uh, before, perfect can be the enemy of good. How do I make a decision that gets me to there? Or how do I make a decision that gets me to forever? Like, because you're right, sometimes it slows down because this person uh, is doing their best to help and has a vision for how that can happen. But it requires six months of this and another three months of that and and two weeks of this. And we need it done in like, you know, three weeks. How do we how do we practice moving forward and being unafraid to make mistakes, even as we make decisions, yet making the best decisions we can? So very often, I find that boils down to communication. Mm. If you tell that person, well, yes, he may be the perfectionist. Yes, they may think the perfect. If you tell this person, we need to move forward with this within three weeks. We know this isn't going to be done to whatever that is, and you can continue work on this afterwards, but we need to have something over here so we can move forward within three weeks. It allows that person to then boil down what they need to do to be able to deliver something on that side, giving them that flexibility that it may not be to their standards, but it is something that is necessary for their role in their organization to continue to move forward. So I find that barrier is more of my communication. It's when you don't communicate that, that that person is saying, okay, great, I have six months to make sure this is done correctly. And then when three weeks and you come back to them, it's like, why isn't it done yet? It's like, what do you mean? I need to make sure it's done right. It was going to take me six months to do so. So just that communication earlier on solves a lot of that issue and also gives that person the flexibility or the freedom to say, no, it can't be done here, but this is why. Because very often they're not trying to delay the project. They just have their thoughts in their mind as to what the reason is or why it will take this long and what needs to happen to make sure it's done correctly. You know, that connects to your earlier point, which which was this is where we need you to be in this decision-making process. Do you find that that level of communication we've talked about this before too and it's a separate topic but how often is it that somebody just didn't know what was expected of them it was assumed <laughs> by somebody else that this was expected of them and then the whole team is angry or upset or behind schedule or something and and it's it's not because somebody did something wrong it's because they weren't on the same page that's another element that's kind of insidious just this poor this poor communication or making assumptions does that come up a lot where you sit as you're working with your clients with this stuff Far too often. 
Mm. Far too often. It is because we do assume people work the way we work. Mm. Just naturally, we assume people who work the way we do. So naturally, when you'll communicate with somebody, Chris, so you can tell them, sure, this is how I would want to be, you know, this is how I would want to be given the project. And that's why I would give over the, you know, and so I'm going to communicate it. But the other person may hear something entirely different or not understand the full direction of what this looks like. So whether it's books on delegation, of which I've read quite a few, whether it's books on the communication styles, of which we've read quite a few, there are lots of really great tools out there. But the point that you referenced of that communication becomes really key, especially as it relates to both the engagement and being able to deliver on those and make the decisions along the way. Because the communication piece is, this is what we're working towards as an organization. Therefore, this is your piece in this project that we're working towards. Therefore, we need to decide this yes or no over here by this point in time. So you need to deliver this over here so we can decide that. It's interesting, the funnel that you're describing, because I'm going back to the very first illustration you made about this, uh, this startup where there was a lot of data to look at, but it wasn't clear why we were looking at the data. Everything should come back to what is the what is this sort of strategic goal that you've already identified and the nuts and bolts of that so that you know what you're working towards. Is that accurate? As If I can just have this clarity around, well, here's what we're trying to do, it will break into many asks, but eventually I need to be able to have some guiding light that says, if it doesn't do this, then do that, right? Yes. And while it's not it's not always simple. Yeah. Well, let me rephrase that. It may, it may be simple. It's not always easy, obviously, to get to that level of clarity. And from our perspective, it's not about, oh, you must have all the answers before you start. Because you need to have a direction before you start. Yeah. Otherwise, you may end up going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Do you find if that is nailed down, for me, when that stuff is nailed down, so much becomes inevitable and you get to take personality out of it. You get to take personal habits or, or work uh, styles out of it. You can just say, this is where we're headed, everybody. And you might have friction along the way that helps the work, but uh, it's when you don't have that, that everybody starts marching in their own direction or, well, I thought we should do it this way. Well, I disagree. We should do it this way. And now you're not deciding about things. You're deciding about whatever. Yeah, exactly. Do you find that that's true? Do you find that when everybody in the organization can understand where we're headed, it makes it makes everything a lot easier to just sort of parse out? Yes, but that's an oversimplification, obviously. Just because you do that doesn't mean everything automatically flows either. So yes, that's a necessary first step. It's then obviously implementation afterward becomes the next challenge along the way. Do you find that there's... Um, a skill set, a personality skill set, or or a, a a personal growth aspect to some of this, because you and I were talking just before we kind of started that I see some dynamics sometimes, and this is great because you you reversed it and said, well, hold on, why are we making decisions? But I see sometimes leaders are, uh, you mentioned delegation, they're afraid to delegate, or they say they're delegating, but they're really not, or they will have delegated, somebody will have done something and they'll undo it quickly because it wasn't quite to whatever their mindset was. In other words they want to be the only decision maker, even if they seem to be inviting feedback. Do you find that that's true? Or uh, I'm indecisive and I need too many cooks in the kitchen and I can't quite decide what to do. And I'll go with consensus, although it's my job to sort of chisel that down. I see both of these aspects at work sometimes. Do you also? And are there ways we can circumvent that? So yes, we definitely see that. Um, I think very often it becomes that leader is not really sure 
how exactly how they how they can or should be leading. You know, very often we have this image in our head of this is how this is how we need to lead, and that's not really true. There are leaders of all different. There are all different types of leaders. What is perhaps most important is first understanding your own your own style of leadership as it relates to the decisions you need to make, and then building out the team around you that supports your, your study, what you're working on in that in that manner. For instance, you know, you reference decisive or indecisive. Well, I think everyone's capable of making decisions. They just need to be presented in a way that allows them to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So if you know that what your decision-making process is, it's easy for you to build a framework that all the decisions you need to make are in now in this process. You know your own decision-making process. So as a leader, I think that's far more important than just you know randomly deciding things or ordering people around. It's more understand your own decision-making process and build as much as possible around you in a way that when you need to make the decisions, it's presented in your process so you can actually make the decisions you have to. How do you, uh, first of all, Nelson Tepfer, CEO, mm-hmm. like how do you get into an engagement and help me with that? And how should my CFO be a part of that for me? What what? Because I'm thinking about this idea of don't just surround yourself with yes people, as you mentioned. Um, I have to be willing to and wanting to surround myself with people who will have a different perspective or an opposing. That's the only way that we can make good good choices. But how can I, how do you help me with that? So part of, you know, it's really interesting. You know, people think of us as CFOs as, oh, we're the finance and accounting people. Right. And we are. But we're also CFOs. The Russman's elevated now into the leadership structure and the strategy side of things. And as part of being a leader, it is recognizing this is how some of those some of those components of how people make decisions. You know, we talk about this internally across our team. You know, if our client is struggling to make this decision, did we not present them the, the information or in the way that allows them to make a decision, or is this person incapable of doing this? And we have to really have to be able to break this down. So when we talk about our, you know, our supporting our team, our supporting our team and supporting our clients. Very often, it does become about the communication, as we need to communicate with our clients. We need to present information to our clients in a way that allows them to make a decision. We all know that some people that will not make a decision without reams and reams of data and need to have a little bit of different ways. In and of itself, that's not a problem, as long as A, they understand that that's how they make decisions, and B, we can present information in a way that allows them to make a decision around that topic that needs to. There are some people who just want to boil it down. You know, what does it look like? Yes or no? Good. Yes. You know, and there are many people who make the decisions that way, in which case we need, if we, if, if that person we then send reams and reams and reams of data to, they will not end up making a decision. They'll get lost in there. They won't even bother looking at it or reading it. That's fascinating and connects to uh, understanding the communication style of who you're working with. How often is that true where... As you mentioned earlier, we assume people will want to work the way we want to work. And, and so you're going to give 10 pages of backstory. And I'm thinking of a CEO that I've worked with where it's like that. You think, here's a presentation that is rich and sparkling and gives you every point of info. And, and that person's like, can you put this in a sentence? And if you can't, there's a problem. Like if you can't put it in a sentence, you've lost yourself in the weeds. And I love that you're reminding us of that, that we need to be attentive to the conversation at hand not just the information at hand it's so relevant and that speaks more to the leadership part of the component that we bring when we work with our clients yes there's finance and accounting yes there's all the fun stuff that exists within that function but at the cfo level it's as much about leadership and strategy as it is about strictly numbers mm-hmm. nelson tepfer is the ceo pro cfo partners he's the smartest dude in the room and nelson it's always so great to spend time with you. Thanks for being so generous as always with your expertise and guidance. And um, I'm going to decide to uh, 
to listen to this one again when, when it launches because it's good stuff. I'm going to share it with my network as well because it's good stuff. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Chris. Always enjoy our conversations. All right, buddy. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth.